This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Amen, amen. Well, I was uh, thinking about 1994. You remember 1994? Because they flooded right down in Albany, Georgia. Uh-huh. I still remember that. I said, what? There's coffins floating down the road. Lord, on the news, that was something. But anyway, um, it wasn't that that I was thinking of. I was thinking about uh, we had come, I guess from work, we were working in, I think, Cobb County. Yeah, Cobb County. And um, had Brandon and Pastor Mona was pregnant with Chantel. And, and uh, we went to the grocery store right there in South Deshaun. The public's right there in South Deshaun. And we went to go get, you know, our groceries. So we got some things or whatever. Store was unusually crowded. And, uh, well, we went to the milk section, and there was no milk. I said, huh, I guess the cow stopped producing. There ain't no milk in the store. I couldn't understand why there was no milk in the store. Said, okay. Now, we fresh out of New York, so just, that, that's your context. And then we went over to the bread aisle. Uh-huh. There's no bread on the shelves. I said, I've never been to a store in my life <laughs> that there was no bread or milk. Got to the register and kind of fussing about it, and somebody overheard and said, don't you know? I said, don't I know what? They said, don't you know there's a storm coming? I said, yeah, but what that got to do with bread? I'm from New York with bread and milk. So I just kind of walked out shaking my head. I, I don't get what the big fuss is about bread and milk. Yesterday, guess where I was at? At the store doing what? Getting milk at least. I said, oh, God, I'm fully Southern now. Man, I got into, it was uh, Kroger's up 124. I got into, into the parking lot, and I said to my wife, it was so crowded, I was almost parking at 124, literally. <laughs> it was just crowded. People, was like chaos. And so I was walking from the car to the store, and this lady comes up to me, and she said, she just looks at me, and she said, you think there's any milk left? That was her first comment to me. I said, I, said, I don't know, but I hope so, because that's what I came to get. She said, I'll race you. I was like, I don't think we should do that because we might both get there at the same time and fight over that last gallon. She said, oh, but you can't take the last gallon from me because I have a baby at home. I said, you win, you win, you win. This is a true story. So I walk in, I, get, you know, I go to the milk section, and there's about five, look like there's only five, whatever. You know, there's not a lot of milk there. And so I get what I'm looking for and, and all of that. And, but as I'm doing it, I'm like, there was so much commotion. There was so many people. There was so many lines and people bumping into each other. There was so much bumping into each other and pushing and shoving and racing and reaching. When I got back home, I had to stop and say, whew, hope I didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> ah, forgive me, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brought me over. Yes, Lord. Mm. So last week we talked a bit about, uh, well, really this idea of arise, the dawning of a new day. And we talked about sometimes mm, the discouragement that we can feel when we look at the things in our lives that are broke down, that are ruined, that are in ruins, that are in a state 
of great ruin in our lives and how often that can be not only discouraging, but it can also become difficult to pick up the pieces from and to rebuild. And And I was thinking that um, I've seen that in action because as a boy, when I grew up, two houses, one was the one directly across the street from us, burned down, you know, at different points. It was very traumatic, actually, thinking back on it. But the house across the street burned down early in the morning, and um, the woman was inside and had tenants living downstairs. And I don't understand this for the life of me, but um, she was standing, I guess, about 5.30 in the morning. It was still dark outside, just in her nightgown, just saying, help, help, just like that. And, and she never got the tenants from, out, from downstairs. How could you do it? Anyway, so my dad and, and the neighbor ran over early in the morning before everybody's up and broke in and got the people out from downstairs. This is a big thing. Anyway, the house burned down, and there they... Uh, had a trailer on their property for the longest. I mean, it was a long time, probably about a year as the house was being rebuilt. And then when I got to, I think I was in high school, the neighbor on the left side of our house, directly next door to us, right after school, somebody called me and said, um, you need to get out to the house. I said, why? They said, there's a fire. I said, there's no fire in my house. They said, the house next door to you is on fire. And, um, and then that was a fire. And unfortunately, your life was lost in that one. And so it was very, very traumatic. And, but what I can tell you about that is, and let me say this to you. Maybe you've seen that too. Let me stop here and say we've had people in our church, even up in the last couple of years, that have had their house burned down and, and several over the years that I know of. And some of you have been also that neighbor where you've had a friend or neighbor. Um, their house was basically in ruins because of whether a fire or hurricane or tornado, whatever it may have been that you have seen. And, and what I know about uh, rebuilding a house that is destroyed is that rebuilding is always harder than building. Reconstruction is always harder than new construction. They can throw up a house in, in, in three months, four months, but it'll take you a good year sometimes to rebuild off of something that has been torn down. But what's even often more difficult than rebuilding a house is sometimes the most difficult rebuilding is emotional rebuilding. It's when there's been loss in your life that is devastating. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one that devastates you. It would be much easier for you to rebuild a house than it is to rebuild emotionally. You know, sometimes it's the loss of a marriage and that you didn't see coming, you know, and some course of events. And so you find yourself in a relationship that is dead. And, and so you've got to now rebuild your own life because of that emotional loss there and from the devastation of divorce. Sometimes it's the rebuilding of trust. You know, you trusted somebody and it's like overnight, it was like the rug was pulled out from beneath you. And then, you know, you got to rebuild or you might be that person who's got to rebuild with somebody else to trust that was lost like that. And so sometimes that takes some time. And then there's another one that happens to us where there's just major life disappointments that you didn't see coming and you got to rebuild after that. And so it can be tough to rebuild after loss. And uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about that as we go further in from where we were last week. And so uh, for those of you that are present this morning because your brothers and sisters couldn't be here, I'm going to need y'all to be the amen corner. So especially the praise team because y'all going to just have five jobs this morning. So you had to leave praise and worship. Now I got to be the amen corner. Then come back up and sing. So we're going to use you all up this morning. So somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. You got me? All right. Good. All right. And so if you've lost Confidence, if you've lost 
Trust if you've lost your way. And if you've lost your walk with Jesus. This message is for you. I told you last week, and we and you can turn to Isaiah 60 or open it up in the Version Bible app. I told you last week that Isaiah 60, it said, arise, the prophet is declaring the word of the Lord to Israel. And Israel, God is telling to arise. And so that doesn't mean a whole lot unless you understand the context. And so the context is that Israel had sinned. Israel had walked in idolatry. They were God's chosen people, decided to do things their way. Anybody can relate to being chosen by God, but you're going to do it your way, right? And so Israel's decided they're going to do it their way. And God said, all right, you're going to go into spiritual timeout, 70 years. You're going to be in Babylonian exile. And so it was after that, somebody say after that, that God said the words arise. So let me go back and say that, what that is. So after God gave them a promise and then gave them a promised land, he's going to tell them that they need to arise. It was after when you read about how they were uh, downtrodden in Babylon that God would say, arise. It was after, and some of y'all know this from Christmas songs, Isaiah 40, where the prophet, they were in such a, such a bad position where till the prophet came and said, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. You know, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. It was after being so destitute and so broken that a word of comfort had to come to God in the middle of that situation, though it didn't change at that point. Immediately changed. It was after that that God says that. It was further on into Isaiah 59 last week. We reached, read about they were looking for light, but found darkness. It was after looking for light, only to be discouraged again, to find darkness. We looked for brightness, but found a walk in blackness. It was after walking in the blackness. Then if you, some of y'all know this one, if you go down to Isaiah 59 further on, it says, when the enemy comes in, oh, you know that one, right? Like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a stand against them. Well, that was Isaiah 59, right before we go to Isaiah 60. It was after the enemy had come in, like a flood. It's after all that that the prophet says, arise, shine, your light is coming. And, and I want to say to you, I don't know what your after that is this morning. I don't know what it is that you've gone through, the struggle, the trial, the temptation, the loss. I don't know what you've gone through, but I can tell you this, that after that, God says, arise. After that, God has a to be continued, arise. After that, God has a next step, arise. After that, God still has a hope and a future for your life, arise. It's after that, that God, when you're down, that God will tell you to get up, arise. Be awakened, be stirred, and prepare for action. You see, sometimes when we go through the trials and the heartaches of life, and we get knocked down, we think that we should stay down. But God says, no, no, you may have been down for a moment. You may have felt cast aside for a while. You weeping may endure for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. He says, arise, it's morning time. It's time for you to shine. Why? Because the glory of the Lord is upon you. And the glory of the Lord is God's amazing splendor. God's magnificence. It's all that is beautiful. And so what he's saying to you is that after the pain, after the shame, after the loss, beauty is coming in your life. 
In other words, you may look at your life and say right now, it's all tore up. It's all messed up. It's all broke down. I don't see how out of this ravaged ruins, something beautiful is going to come. But he said, because I said it, I will perform it. I've got glory after that. And so in verse, I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to jump down to verse 19, and we're going to talk briefly, and then we'll be giving God some praise. How does that sound? Arise, shine, for your light has come. The only reason you'd have to tell somebody that because they can't see it. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Touch this up and say me. He says, see, darkness covers the earth and darkness the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you. Touch this up and say me. This personal this morning. And his glory appears over you. Touch yourself and say me. Now look at your name and say you too. <laughs> Us is. Verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. I'm going to talk about that near the end. So to revisit a bit, it's 70 years of Babylonian exile, 70 years of being separated from the thing that God promised you. Because the place that God promised them, and, and I think we forget this when we talk about covenants with God, particularly with Israel, there is the covenant with Israel. There's about four covenants that we all should know about, and I'm not going to go into them today. But the covenant, the one I want to talk about is the covenant that God made with Israel to give them their own land. And we know a lot about it. We don't sing songs about it. We know, we know the good part about it. Uh, uh, Fred Hammond helped us memorize it. He said, we're blessed in a city. I'm going to use all these gospel folks. I'm, I'm going to check. Blessed in the field. Uh-huh. We're blessed when we come and when we go. All right. Deuteronomy 28 says, all these blessings shall follow you if you stay in right standing with me. If you stay in your partnership with me, all these blessings shall overtake you. And part of it was, if you notice, is you'll be blessed in the city and in the field, but the blessing in the city and the field was in the land of the promise. Ah, oh, Jesus. It was in because it was a triangular promise. Oh, I didn't even expect to talk about this, but this is good. <laughs> it was a triangular promise, meaning that there was three things included. One party was God. He's the one that authored the covenant. The second party was Israel. They were his chosen ones. They had to receive the covenant. And the third thing was the land. That's why we're still fighting over that city of Jerusalem right now. It's still an issue. And so God said, if you stay in covenant with me, you can stay in the promised land. These blessings will overtake you. You go down and you keep reading Deuteronomy 28 and you go a little further. He says, however, if you cut up, if you get too big-headed, if you want to be grown, if you want to do things my way, then these curses will follow you. Because you will be out of land. And in the land, you'll have toil. It will not produce for you. You'll have struggles. You'll be enslaved. And he talks about all of it. So guess what do you think they're coming out of when we get here when they're no longer in Jerusalem and they've been gone for 70 years? They're coming out of that place of curses. They're coming out of places of despair. They're coming out of place of darkness. And this is where God tells them to 
now rise, shine, your light has come. And so they come out after 70 years, and here's what we know, that likely the older generation is dead. They, they never get to go back to the land. The younger generation would have heard stories. They would have heard stories from mama and grandmama and daddy and the different elders and different ones would have told them stories about there was a time that you lived in your own land. You don't, you weren't here for it, but we had our own land and we reigned in our own land. And, and over the years, God gave us manna and God provided for us and, and kings came from us. And, and you can't see it now because we're oppressed right now. You don't know this, but it was amazing. And, and back at home, back in Jerusalem, there was a magnificent temple. You know, we were moving around for a long time. We had little tents. We made a tent unto the Lord, a tent of meetings. And, and eventually God blessed us. When we got in the land, we finally built a great big temple to the Lord and we would sacrifice it. And God God's glory would come inside of the temple. Oh, it was amazing. And I can imagine little boys and girls would be real excited about, wait, we're free. We're getting ready to go back home. We're going to Jerusalem. I heard all about Jerusalem since I was this big. We're going to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem on a new day and find old ruins. Because the temple is torn down and everything that they had 70 years ago is now gone. And so they've gone to a, to a new day with an old ruin. And there's times in our life that we got to face the beginning of something new, like a new year, and still deal with our old ruins. The ruins of a temple that represented God's presence. Because see, we don't, we take it for granted because we know the Lord is in us, right? But if you were them, you knew the Lord was in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silent before him. The temple is gone. They lost the temple. They lost the visible presence of God. They lost community that they shared with all the traditions and the richness that it had inside of it. It was symptomatic of a loss of community, of a loss of God's presence. It was a temple, it was a community, and even more so of their own personal lives that had left the Lord and were suffering and needed repair because they were in a state of ruins. And as I told you last week, it's interesting because I can imagine how devastating. I mean, can you just imagine, you know, you just living in oppression and all of a sudden something just pops up and you're free. Right. And so that's what happened with them. You know, Persia beat Babylon and the Persians freed them. It was like overnight. No one, they wouldn't have expected that. God knew it because he, he said it would happen one day, 70 years later. But that 70th year, they're free. And I'm sure they were excited because God is moving on our behalf. God opened up a door. I can imagine the old saints saying, he brought me out. He brought me out of bondage. He brought me out of Babylon. He brought me out of oppression. And to what kind of crazy is this? And that can be disheartening. Because, as I said to you last week, and we're going to pick up from here and go another further, God took an impossible situation, and in a moment, basically, they're free and made it possible. Then they go further and they see ruins, and that would take a lot of difficult work to rebuild, and it would not be easy. And so what I said to you last week is real simple. Sometimes God makes things possible, but he doesn't make them easy. And I, don't, I didn't even realize until I, this week, like light bulbs went off for me with that, because how powerful that is is because if we don't understand that, we will only think God is a God of the easy. God is a God that's only in easy so that when the hard things come, 
We abandon them. We run. We quit. We flake out because, sure, this can't be God. Because if this was God, it wouldn't be difficult. But God is not just a God of easy. God is a God of the difficult too. That's why in the Old Testament he said, don't worry because they think the Lord is just the Lord of the, of the mountain, but he's also the Lord of the valley too. He's God on the mountain and God in the valley. Don't think because you face a difficulty, God's not in it. So the first thing I want you to make a notation to that we often try to get out of what God is still working in. Because as long as I think that God is only moving in the easy things in my life, I'm going to get out of the hard ones. Woo! Woo! As long as I think that God is only in the easy, I'm going to quit when things get difficult. Because I don't realize God is still in that difficult marriage. God is still in that difficult relationship. God is still in that difficult health report. God is still in that difficult financial situation. God is not just God of the easy, but he's God of the impossible and God of the difficult. And we can stop trying to give up and give out and run away and quit and talk about and run from when things get hard and they get difficult. You better understand that God is also a God of the difficult and sometimes he's in the difficult areas of your life that you want to walk away from like in 1997 when I quit pastoring because it was difficult moving to Atlanta actually was easy those first three years were difficult moving to Atlanta was possible the job opened up like that the house opened up besides that one week when we first got here opened up. It opened everything laid out. But that, by that third year, it was difficult. And here's the thing. And, and my, Pastor Mona knows this too. I don't quit. I'm not a quitter. I, I tell folks, I quit about two things in my life. One was the football team. I think I was seven or eight, and it was best for the team. Yes, amen. Praise God. Hmm. And the other one was when I formally quit. It was the first Sunday. I'll never forget it because it was real. The first Sunday of October of 1997. I love you. We love you. We appreciate about as many people as in the room right now. We love you. We love the Jesus in you. We're grateful and honored to have served you for the last three years. And we're going to help you all find another church before the month is over. And it was Carl Deshaies, Elder Carl Deshaies, pastor in Texas now, who wasn't even a member. I'm not going to let you give up. Something I would do to somebody else. But anyway. And so, and so that and the elders and different ones just breathe life back in. Because I had to learn that God is not just, just not God when things are easy. But God is also God when things are difficult. And it's in the difficulty that often we try to get out of. And, 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 we, and when you just look at scripture, it's, it's as clear as day, but for whatever reason, I don't think we see that in contemporary Christianity. I don't think we preach it. I think that we have the wrong conception of how God moves and how God operates because we see that God working with people dealing with difficult situations that he was in. We can see it with Abraham and Sarah when they could not bear children. God was in their difficulty. He was in it the whole time. He knew about it. He wasn't, he could have just went poof and she could have been pregnant. Now he said, no, I'm going to give you a word. I'm going to tell you it's possible. You're going to be pregnant, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. He was in it the whole time. We can look at Moses and, and be about to wear himself out. And his father-in-law had to come to him and say, you're about to wear yourself 
out. It was a difficult thing that Moses was doing, trying to judge the children of Israel. But God was in it, knowing that God, knowing that Moses would become a law giver and that Moses would judge the nation, preparing him for where he needed to go. If Moses had a gave up, we'd have been in big trouble. And my last example, now think about Peter and the disciples. We've been out all night long and caught nothing. And the writer was so nice to give us additional information and say, and they took their nets and hung them up. In other words, saying, I'm out. That was not a good idea. (laughs) But it was fun. (laughs) And And so here comes Jesus. Saying, uh, launch out into the deep. Yeah, uh, okay. You newbie, you you don't know what you're doing. You know, you're a great teacher. Let's play life. How about let's play you be the teacher, I'll be the fisherman. How about that? They ain't nothing catching. He said, Go on and get your nets. And then they go get the net after a difficult time when they wanted to give up and quit. And then what does he say to them after the draw comes in? Don't even worry about that. That wasn't nothing. This is preparation because I'm in this. I want you, this is part of your preparation. You will be a fisher of men and you're going to bring a draw into the kingdom. Ironically, Peter would be the first person to preach the opening of the church, Acts chapter 2. And he would be the one that would, his preaching would bring 3,000 in because God is in the difficulty. Woo! Jesus. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. So here's what James has to say to us, 1 and 4. He says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So when we quit, it's just like if you're lifting weights. When you lift the weight, that muscle is going to become stronger. It's going to become defined and stronger. But when you stop lifting it because it gets difficult, right, the muscle becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. It's the same thing with our walk with God. If, we, if, if God has situations that he's in that we let go of and we try to weasel out and try to get out of, instead of allowing it to do its work in us, the muscles that we need or the muscle that we need to carry who God called us to be and how God needs us to show up in our future will not be formed. They will not be strong enough to support us when we get to 2025. So James says, don't try to get out of stuff prematurely. He says, instead, let it do its work in you. Because see, we think that God is calling us to rebuild the temple. And the temple he's most concerned about is this one. We think God is so concerned like we are about our goals. And there's nothing wrong with goals. I have them. You should have them. But God is less concerned about your goals and more concerned about you. And so sometimes he uses the difficulty to build you up, to strengthen those muscles, to make you well-formed. And he's really talking about our character. Because he needs you and I to have the character that the strength of character so that when we get into those other hard circumstances in 2027 and 2024, that when we get into those situations, we have the character and the fortitude to stand. 
when he opens up the doors for you to go into room, rooms with different ones at the table, that you know how to sit at the table and not give up your integrity. When he opens up doors for you to speak to, to different people of influence that you know how to represent his kingdom and not self-interest. He needs to build the character in us and he will use the difficulties that those things that are in us are no longer deficient, but they become strong. And so he tells them, arise, shine, your light has come. He says, and this is the part I want want you to get now. He says, arise, shine, your light has come. Darkness will cover the people, but the glory of the Lord has come upon you. It rises on you. So what you don't know that they would have known, and we talked about this a while back, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, they would have known and would have heard about the stories of what happened when they were exiled before this. Because immediately when he says, arise, shine, your your light will come, even though the world will be in darkness, your light will come. That springs a light bulb for them. Wait a minute. Something real familiar about this story. Something about, huh, when all of Egypt was in darkness, but God gave light to Goshen, where Israel dwelt. And the scripture says, I think it's Exodus chapter 10, it talks about, if I'm not mistaken, it was a, it was a tenth plague, the final plague, that God poured out on Egypt because he wanted Egypt to let his people go, right? And so what he says to them, he says, in, in Exodus 10, it's, it clearly says that the darkness was so great. Somebody say darkness. It was so great that it could be felt. And that nobody went anywhere because they could not see the person in front of them. It was a grave darkness, and the Egyptians were horribly afraid. So much so that after all the other things that happened, it's finally at this point that they go, oh, you know what? We need to let these, these guys go. Getting mad about the lights and all the other things and the blood to water, uh, the water to blood and all that didn't matter. But that one moved because the darkness could be felt. But on the other side of town, in a place called Goshen, God gave Israel light in their tents. And so immediately when they hear, rise, shine, your light has come, they're going to be in darkness, but your light has come, it would have triggered for them the memory, the stories, the history, the testimony. That when we were in exile before, and when we were in the dark before, God gave light in our house. See, I, I, I need you to understand that when, what you see happening, well, you got to understand that there's a distinction, and I believe God's going to show it even greater in 2022, but there's a distinction between what's happening in the darkness of the world, but in the light of the believer's house. What's happening in the darkness out there, but what God will do in your life, what God will do in your house, what God will do with your family. God's going to show a distinction between his people and those that don't belong to him. And so for Israel, the fact that they had this testimony that I know, they, don't, they didn't know God as everything. They didn't get it all together. But one thing they knew, they knew the Lord as their light. I think it was David that said in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Uh, for the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We got to get a heart that I've got a testimony. When you get a testimony, you can say, I don't know what you're going through right now. And I don't care what area looks dark around you. It could be the pandemic, could be job, could be all the stuff happening in society. But what God needs you to understand is that you can get up. You can arise because you've got history with God. You've got a testimony with God. And sometimes he got to shake you and say, wake up. You know me. Wake up. You have history. Wake up. You've got a testimony. Wake up. You've seen my goodness. You've seen my faithfulness. You've seen my hand. You've seen my power. You've seen me. Get up. Arise. Shine. Your life has come. Remember what God brought you through in 1990. Remember what he did in 2000. Remember 2020. Now look right now. The same God that brought you through Goshen. The same God that brought you through Egypt. is the same God right now. Right here today. That is able to deliver you. That is able to save your lost lovers. That is able to make a way out of nowhere. I think we got to go and revisit our own testimony. See, nobody has your testimony but you. Only you and God really know what he's done for you. Sometimes you just got to stop and think about how good God has been to you. And when God showed you for yourself that he was real, and how powerful he was, and how loved you are. Woo! And I guarantee you this much. If you just take some time and reflect, your testimony will confirm that you can't arise. Your testimony. He was locking that thing in. He said, I know what you're facing right now, but I also know what I did for you before. He was locked. He said, this is your confirmation. What I did before, if I can do it, then I can do it now. Your testimony. Confirms that you can arise. You can shine. That beauty is coming again. And it also tells you the first thing, and we're going to be done. The first point under number two that God has a plan. You don't have this, we didn't read this, but the verse, next verse, verse three, says, after talking about the darkness, of the world. Verse 3 goes into hmm, and the Gentiles will come to the brightness of your light. Because that was God's original plan from the very beginning. To use Israel to bring the world to him. So what he's saying to them is I have not changed my mind about my plan for you. I don't care. I know you messed up. I know you dropped the ball. I know you had to go to spiritual timeout. I know there's been things that you didn't do that you were called to do. He said, but I have not changed my mind concerning you. And I need you to understand that. I need you to catch that at home, that no matter what you've done, where you've been, God has not changed his mind concerning you. When you see the ruins, when you see the destruction, when you face the darkness, it would be easy to think God has changed his mind. God is not going to do. No, no, God wants you to understand that I am the Lord and I change not. God wants you to understand that I saw it before you did it. God wants you to understand that even in the difficulty, I'm still there and I've not changed my mind about you. Mm. I just want to read this one because I love this scripture. 
It's from Ephesians 1 to 5. It says, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. His unchanging plan has always been. Mm. Has always. Before the fall. We're talking pre-Genesis. God didn't just come up with a, you know, a little last-minute play to win a UGA game. Just throwing it out there. That, oh, we're going to just pull out a play? No, no. He had already decided that. Long before there ever was a game. Unchanging plan. That's why it says the gifts of God are irrevocable and the callings are irrevocable. He's not, the calling that he has to call many are called fewer chosen is not about preaching, it's about salvation. It had never, ever, has never, ever been in doubt from God. It has never been in question. It has never been a matter of, well, maybe cause or if I, depends on how I feel or if they choose to love me. No, no, he says, you cannot love me. You can crucify my son. And yet still, my unchanging plan has always been. What kind of love is that? And then he went and said, because he wanted to. Not obligated. It wasn't because it was pity. He wanted to. That's how much he loves you. And his plan hasn't changed. But you don't know, I had a moral failure. And his plan hasn't changed. But I went bankrupt. And his plan hasn't changed. But I was incarcerated. And his plan hasn't changed. God still has a plan. God still has a people. He still has the people. Despite their wrongdoings, God still has a people. And because his unchanging plan is still in place, he still used Israel to bring in the Gentiles straight from the Old Testament right into the New Testament because his plan was unchanging. And today, we are not Israel, but we are spiritual Israel because of Christ Jesus, because of the adoption. And he has not changed his mind. We are to be a light. We are his people. We are to be a light. We are his people. That's why it says, if my people are called by my name, but humble themselves. That's why, though, it was said to Israel, it's for you today, because we are spiritual Israel. We are the people of God. And my final point is, not only does God have a plan and the people he has the power? Because some folks got a plan, they got a people, they got a plan and a team, they ain't got the power to make it happen. God said, I got the power. You look at the power, I got the power. I got the power. And in case you get confused, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. See, a lot of folks get confused. God is not the universe. The universe was created by God. 
The universe cannot contain God. The universe cannot contain the glory of God. It can display the glory of God, but God is so much greater than the, he, he created the sun, moon, and the stars, and he knows each of the stars by name. God is greater than any star, including your sun. He said, I'm so bad that one day you're going to be in my presence. One day when the story is completely over, he says, you won't have a need for a sun. My presence alone will give you light. And don't even look for a moon to light it up at nighttime because a lot of us get it confused that it's not about the moon. We think that the moon is so great. But how many of y'all know that the moon is only a reflection of the sun? The moon don't have no shine on its own. And that's a revelation for us too. Because without God, without Christ, you can do nothing. It's only because of Christ and who he is that you could ever shine. And any shine that you have, all the glory goes back to God. All the praise goes back to God. All the honor goes back to God. Because it's his light anyway. We're just reflections of glory. And if the sun is the greatest power in our universe... It's not just light. That's the greatest power. Every other power is going to come from that. It's the greatest power. How much more power does he have since he made the sun? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You ain't got to worry about not having the strength. Y'all can come up. You ain't got to worry about not having the strength to do what it is you feel you got to do to get up to rebuild. Don't worry about that. Just plug into God. He got all the strength you need. He got all the strength you need. He's not asking you to do something he's not going to empower you to do. He's got you covered. Amen. I want to pray for you this morning. You that are at home and you're dealing with ruins and, and you want to get up. It's a new year, but I was reading somebody the other day. They said they, it's a new year, but it was all, it was an article of a celebrity that lost a relationship. And they say, yeah, it's a new year, but it's not a new year. I'm just, I'm not saying happy new year. It's just neutral. I said, oh, you're in bad shape because they didn't have the strength, but this morning you have. A God who has all the strength that you need and is able to strengthen you and would never put more on you than you can bear. And so when he says, get up and get out of bed, it's because you got the strength to get up and get out of bed. When he says, arise, shine, it's because he's going to empower you to move in whatever you need to do. And then he wants to shine through you while you do it. And so you that are at home, I want you just to Really focus in right now and uh, extend your hands towards your camera this morning. And let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that we know who you are in the easy seasons and also in the difficult ones. God, thank you for the testimony that we have, Lord. We each have a Goshen uh, experience, Lord, that we can pull from that when there was darkness, you brought light. Or when there was lack, you brought provision, God. Or when there was sickness, you brought healing, God. When there looked like death, you brought renewal. So, Father, we thank you this morning. Help us to grab hold to our testimony, Lord, and to continue to trust you, Lord, that the things that you've shown faithful with in the past, it's but a light thing for you to do today. And, Father God, as we move forward, Lord God, let us have a confidence in your plan, that you've not changed your mind, God, that you're, you've not uh, abandoned us, God. It's not over for us, God, that we are still your people, Lord God. And, and when we're weak, we have your power to pull us and push us forward to, to do what you want to do in our lives. And that we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.